Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. I want to just uh, welcome everybody who's here. I want to welcome everyone who's streaming the service, or if you're podcasting later, we're honored to have you. And uh, I was away. I had some board meetings at Asbury Seminary. I was away, and then I took a break for a week. Anybody, you ever need a break? I needed a break. And so um, I was so glad to be off last week and um, just so glad to be with you. And I know I think probably some of the emotion is I just love you guys so much. I love our church so much. And God is just doing some incredible things. So Praise God for that. I'm going to try to recover here. Hey, I want to take a moment before we dive in. I want to take uh, just a quick moment and make a public service announcement. And if you're a part of our church family, you, you re- you'll recognize this because I do it around this time every year. And if you're not uh, from our church family or you're a guest, it's a great time to grab another cup of coffee, okay? But um, we're about to go into summer, right? So, so how many of y'all can even believe it's summer, right? Like we're about to go into summer. And uh, we've been doing some reading. Uh, this is always a time when I, I tell you how important it is to continue to support the mission of our church, even in the summer. We've been doing some reading that says, because nobody went away last summer, everybody's going away this summer. And uh, I always take a moment as your senior leader to come around this time of the year and say, Man, we're just, we're, we're relying on everybody being faithful. You guys have been so faithful, so generous. Our church is in a strong position financially. Can we say praise God for that? Yeah. It's amazing to be able to report that after the year and half that we've been in. But I want to uh, uh, mention that as we go into summer, everybody's going to be away. It's going to be important for us to be faithful in these coming weeks. I don't want to come to you at the end of the summer and say we've actually driven off a cliff. So, right, so we want to just remind you of that and, and do what you can if you can, and let's all be faithful to that. Yay, God, on that. Yay, God. Praise God. All right, we can go on. All right, let, grab your notes. We are in week seven of a series uh, we're calling Mistaken Identity, and we're doing some important work right now. Here's what I really think. We're doing some, we're doing some deeper theological work because we are really uncovering. We are all trying to work together to uncover any misperception that we might have about who God actually is. And if you've tracked around the church for any length of time, uh, you learn some great things about the Lord. And if a church is halfway doing things right, you learn some great things about the Lord. But even in the best churches, if you're not careful, you can run into an infection and you can pick up some perceptions maybe about the Lord that are not as accurate as maybe they should be. And so what we're doing right now uh, in this series, I think, is we're doing some heavy lifting. We are lifting the hood. We are kicking the tires uh, on some of the most common misconceptions people have about the Lord. Things like this, maybe something you learned as a child, maybe some drive-by conversation you had years ago and it stuck. Maybe some stuff that you've stuck in your religious drawer. And what we're doing right now is we're opening the drawer, we're taking stuff out, we're trying stuff on, and we're seeing if it fits. And this is what we're doing. We're pulling up some of our ideas that maybe we developed in our childhood. We're bringing it up into our adulthood and seeing if it helps. And uh, we are using as a phrase for this important series, 
a little observation made by an unknown author in a letter tucked in the back of the New Testament. We know it as the letter uh, or the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 3, there's a little observation there. And we've been asking people to read it every week. We're going to read it again. Let's read it. Ready? Go. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he being Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And if you're taking notes, this is kind of what we've been saying uh, every week. Here's the idea behind this verse. When you see Jesus, you see God. And what we're trying to do is, is uh, ever more bring greater clarity to that understanding. When you leave here today and you go and mix with the rest of our world, you're going to hear lots of opinions, lots of ideas about who God is. And what this writer said over 2,000 years ago is that when you get an accurate picture of who Jesus Christ is, you see God the Father. And so it's really important that we do our homework on that. It's important that we do this idea well because I think all of us have been created with this desire to know God. And, and the, the Bible, the theologians used to talk about this, that when God formed man out of the dust of the earth. The, the Bible says this amazing thing. It says that God breathed into the nostrils of humanity a sense of his presence. And so theologians and scholars down through the years have, have said that when God did that, God was breathing a part of himself into us. And it's the part of, him, uh, of us that can only be satisfied in a relationship with the living God. And if you, if you live on this planet long enough, you will, you, something happens to ourselves and we, something dulls and dies within us. And we try to fill that gap. We try to fill that space with every other kind of thing. And that'll be, that'll be something all of us will wrestle with all of our lives. Should I put something else in there? Is it pleasure? Is it a human relationship? Is it a foreign substance? Is it the, is it the acquisition of material possessions? We will, we, will, we will try to put all these other things, and we are really in that moment, what we're searching for is a relationship with the living God. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, that when you see Jesus, you see God. And what we've been doing every weekend We've been moving the series along on a familiar path each week. Uh, we're going at a particular misconception, and we're attaching it to it a, 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 what is called a rubric, an idea that we've, we have fit onto this misperception every week. And it goes like this. If you're taking notes, we, you'll know it. We talk about a problematic idea. And the problematic idea is simply this. It's a half-truth. It might be some perception where there's a shade of that, there's a shimmer of what we're uncovering that is literally true. But what we're asking ourselves is, is the whole idea of that true? We live in a culture right now that we want to distill our lives into 150 characters. How many know you can't do that? 
My life is way more complex than what I can try to offer on a Snapchat or an Instagram or anything like this. And so we're looking at some of these ideas and we're distilling, that's a half truth. There's partial truth to that. Does that represent the whole thing? And then on the back side of that, you guys know what we're doing. We're offering what we call a disclaimer. We're taking that half-truth, we're turning it inside out. We're not deconstructing the whole idea, we're deconstructing a part of the idea. And if so, that's not the whole thing, but what we wanna say, let's don't throw out the whole baby with the bathwater. So we're looking at these half-truths and we're going, some of that is true, is all of that true, right? And then on the other side of that, you'll know, we're offering a truth or a challenge within the idea, what do I want us to know, what do I want us to focus on? Now, last week, Jessica preached, did she bring it or what? (laughs) Praise God. I gotta tell you how impressed I am with this young woman, how honored I am to have her on her staff. And I gotta tell you, I'm so pleased that Jessica is bringing her leadership and her style to our family ministry department in our church. She is a voice We're elevating because we believe you need to hear what she has to say. And last week she offered great stuff, right? And I want to say, though, I did notice, even though I was off, I listened. And there was this weird, awkward moment where she titled the message, Bad Boss God, and I saw everybody laugh. And I was kind of watching that a little bit. And uh, I had another funny thing that happened this week. Um, a lot of times if I'm out of town, I will, I will reach back to the communicator from the previous weekend, even though I've watched a message, and I, I will say this. Okay, so in your words, tell me what you want me to remember about your talk. And she texts me right back, and she goes, what talk? And I thought, you guys know I've read before, I think I've shared before, that by Tuesday, uh, people who study this thing say that many of you will forget over 85% of what is happening right now, you'll forget. I didn't know that also included the one who said it. (laughs) I was, Jessica, your message. And she told me, but anyhow, um, this weekend, I want to dive into our next mistaken identity, and we're going to call him, here's the big reveal, anti-ask God anti-ask God. And here's who the anti-ask God is. The anti-ask God is the God who cannot handle tough questions. He is the God who, it's better said, who is saying to us, you better be seen and not heard kind of God. He is the God who says, don't rock the boat, don't go against the flow, stick with the program. And what lies just under the surface of this kind of God is this basic idea that sounds like this. If I have a hard question about my faith, I really can't ask the hard questions because the whole faith will crumble like a house of cards. And right up underneath that is this inordinate pressure that whenever you enter a religious environment like this, you come in, you assume the position, you learn the language, you get down the body uh, posture, and eventually you'll catch up, and so you fake it. And if you don't grow out of this, you reach a point when you look around the room and you begin to wonder if everyone else is faking it also. This is super serious. When I was a young man, uh, I made a commitment to follow Jesus when uh, we lived on the west coast of our state. We lived over in Bradenton. My dad uh, was in corporate management with a company called Nabisco, and we moved over here to the 
to the uh, East Coast. And when we came over here, my family, even though I would say, I think even they would identify that there weren't really, there weren't understandings. They, they were, you know, we were all young in our faith, but my parents had committed to the habit of, of uh, weekend church attendance. So we would do that. And so when we moved over here, uh, we started a church shop. How many of y'all know what church shopping's like, right? Your church shop. Every now and again, I'll meet somebody in the, in the, in the lobby and I can tell they're church shopping. And they'll go, I have just a few questions. They'll drop 900 questions. And if you can answer these right now the right way and check them off on the right box, you know, there's, there's an opportunity here. And uh, so we, we attended what is now, this was so humbling, we attended what is now our East Campus, and uh, which was at the former Good Shepherd. And the first time we went in there, my dad marched us in. We sat in the fellowship hall, I'll never forget this. And uh, we sang, the, the worship was traditional, so there were singing hymns. And when we got through, my, my brothers and I, all of us kind of tall, big guys, we grabbed the pew in front of us to, to kind of leverage ourselves to sit down. We just all did it instinct, instinctively. And there was this precious row of older women who were sitting right in front of us. And we went to leverage ourselves down. We did not realize that the pews were not anchored to the floor. This is, I am not making this up. And so we went to sit down and the pew came up, legs came up. And there was this brief moment when my dad was, I think he said, I think we'll try another church next weekend. And, and um, I'll never forget that that, that happened. But, but that church during that part of its season was this wonderful expression of vital faith and live faith. And I just kind of got sucked into it. But here's what I want you to think about. I didn't know absolutely anything. But I got all sucked into it, and, and like I would attend worship, and then they started adding contemporary worship, and people were going crazy. It was kind of charismatic, and it was just all this stuff, and we're all getting all fired up. And there was this wonderful pastor who I think saw me and said, that guy is a religious nut. And he took me aside, and he took me to breakfast, and he said, I, I got to help you grow, because I could tell right now, you don't really know what you're even doing right now. Do you? And I had the courage to go, no, I actually don't. And, and I'll never forget that because this is really an idea that I think that we want to talk about this. I was reading this book, The God Delusion, and this is a new atheist. One of the, he is an atheist. And here's what Richard Dawkins says. Look at this. One of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. Is that true? I mean, is that actually what this is about? I mean, all of us sort of coming together, having a bit of an experience. The band's pretty good. Like, we're just having this experience, and there's really kind of nothing much behind it. I mean, if you think about this, this is kind of an interesting idea. And so when we think about anti-ask God, let me, let me give you the rubric that we've been working at. Here's the problematic idea. If I were to offer it to you as a blatant lie, here I would say it like this. You're not supposed to ask questions because if you ask questions, it shows God some sort of disrespect. If I were to tune it up a little bit, here's what I think the problematic idea is. Good Christians just believe. Is that it? I mean, when you come in here, it's really what we want you to do. Here's how this works best. Check your mind at the door. Come in here. Assume the position. Get all cranked up. Go out. None of this is really matters. It's not really real. I mean, in fact, isn't this what the Bible teaches? I was thinking about this. First John chapter 20, verse 
29, Jesus told him, because you have seen me and you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is that what that verse means? See, this is really important. Because I got to tell you, when you leave here today, here's what I want you to know. You got loved ones that think that. You, you got friends who think that. You got people in your sort of circle, and, and, and they think that. We are, we are living right now in one of the most unchurched counties in America. We are living right now in the county that has the largest percentage of people that have zero religious experience. I mean, more people live in our county than any other county in America that have never experienced what you and I've just experienced in the last 25 minutes. They have zero memory, zero Christian memory. They're called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. I got none of that. And so there's a lot of misperception uh, out there. And so um, this is sort of an interesting, I think, and really important thing to talk about. So that's the problematic idea. Really good Christians just believe. Here's the disclaimer, and we're offering a disclaimer every week. Here it is. We're not saying, we're not saying as we unpack this false God that um, it doesn't take faith. Faith is a part of the human condition. In fact, I think all people, we live by faith in a way. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? I, I remember a, a time when people thought there was a dichotomy. You either had faith or you had doubt. And, and, and I remember when that presented that dichotomy, I remember sharing with people, actually, I think we have both, don't we? How many of you would say you have some faith? Come on. How many of you would say you have some doubt? Right? I mean, that's kind of true the experience. I was thinking about this. Um, last night, we were at a wedding, and I want to show you a picture of this. Here we are. This is the Capri's in the middle there. I see our our friends, the Hobbs, there on, on the left, and there, Beth and I, we are attending uh, uh, the Capri's son, Taylor, uh, got married last night. And, um, you know, you, when you get married, you're manifesting some faith, right? There's no guarantee all that's going to work out right. Come on, y'all, wake up. There's no guarantee that you're not going to marry somebody that's hot fire crazy, right? <laughs> when, when Beth and I got, I think I, I've shared some of my story, when Beth and I got uh, fell in love in Kentucky, and there came a moment I went out and asked her dad if I could marry her and all of that. Um, then when I, what I haven't probably shared is when we got to the place where we were going to do the wedding, uh, my father-in-law, going to be my father-in-law, he said, you, 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 can, you can marry my daughter, but you're going to marry my daughter out here. You're going to marry her in Texas. I said, yes, sir, I will do that. So we took the whole show on the road and we went out to Texas, and, and this was back in 1987, and the hot show uh, on television in 1987 was the show Miami Vice. How many of y'all remember the show Miami Vice? And I went to the rehearsal dinner. I want you to get this scene. Now, here's her dad, this huge, tall, big Texas farmer guy, Stetson hat, shotgun. Think that. And then I show up looking like Miami Vice. And I, I, have, I have yet to find this picture. I want to show it because it's so bad. I want to show it. We all should laugh at this together. And I'm at, the, I'm at the dress rehearsal for the wedding. And I come walking in. I thought it would be a good idea. And I had Miami Vice pants on. They were, they were striped pants. They were pink and blue and purple and white striped. 
And I, I come in and my father, I could see, I'd see in my mind now, my father-in-law looking at me like going, uh. And I looked over at my dad, and my dad's like, you do you, man, like whatever. I don't, I don't know. And, and, and um, you know, there's no guarantee in that, right? We all, we all live by faith. But here's what else I know. Doubt's part of the human condition. There, there are moments when we struggle and we ebb and flow uh, on this kind of idea. And so we're not saying, we're not saying faith isn't required. In fact, my favorite verse along these lines, let me show it to you. It's Hebrews eleven six. Look at this verse right here. And without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Have you ever thought about this? When you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, right? If you get to heaven, you won't need faith anymore because you'll have certainty, right? But until you get to heaven, faith is required. And so that's, that's the disclaimer. But as a truth or a challenge, uh, I want to offer us a little bit around, I think, an important passage of Scripture that happens in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to pick up at verse 34. And I want you to notice what's happening here. Jesus is in a conversation with the professionally religious. And and, and picking up at verse 34, here's what it says. Hearing, hearing it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, who was an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, he said. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, here's what I I want you to notice. It's really a powerful thing. So, For those of you that like history like I do, this is the very last conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees. So so Jesus has been in this running kind of argument with the Pharisees. This is the last one. And it's after this conversation, they all come together and they go, we've got to get rid of this guy. We can't get him in line anymore. He's totally outside the line. The only way we're going to get rid of him is to get rid of him. And so that what they do is they try to get they try to get Jesus into this weird philosophical theological triangulation. And if you've ever been triangulated between somebody, you know, you know kind of what that feels like. And so they try to do this with Jesus and I want to just pause here and go this is one of the reasons uh, just another reason why I love Jesus Christ. I love him because, you know, they weren't, they weren't even honest in their question, and yet Jesus answers it sincerely. And when he answers it sincerely, in fact, he even, he even ups it, and he offers something they didn't even ask, and he summarizes the whole law down into two important ideas. You are, he said, if you're to fulfill the law. All these people, what do they want to do? They want to fulfill the law. If you want to fulfill the law, Jesus said, here's how you do it. You love God with your heart, with your soul, 
and with your mind. And you love your neighbor like you love yourself. And right there in that moment, Jesus has distilled all 613 Levitical laws, drops them on the table with two. Love God, heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Now, here's what I want to tell you all. We could spend the rest of our lives going at that. And so it's just this incredible moment where Jesus, just because, I mean, he looks past all of the dysfunction, he looks past all of this mess, all of this triangulation, he just boils it down, gives them what they're not even asking. And he points out some things for those of us who with serious intent really want to move into this. And I think the question really becomes, I think in this moment, how do we love God with our mind? That's, that's really the, the answer, I, 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 the question for um, addressing, if you will, the anti-ask God. And I, I think for some of us in the room, I, I think this is a very freeing thing to even consider. And so when, when we say this, uh, I want to say, first of all, how do we love God with our mind? First of all, I think we should recognize that it's okay to use your mind. And I want to say, you know, uh, sometimes you've heard it, maybe you've heard of this before. How many of you, let me, let me just test the water. How many of you would self-identify and say, I'm a right brain person. I tend to be on the creative end of the spectrum. Okay, hold your hand up. I'm kind of more in that category. How many of you would say, I'm a left brain person. I'm more of an analytical person. So now you're warming up and realize I wasn't trying to punk you. How many, how many right brains over here? Raise up high. Right brain salute. Okay, Le- left brain, hoorah. All right, there we go. Now, look at, here's what I want you to notice. For a lot of times when it comes to church, we have only played our hand as though it's really a right brain experience. In fact, I think sometimes the prevailing mantra for many of us who are left brain, which by the way, look like more than half the room in here would, would identify a little bit more left brain. We have said, really, for you to come in here, for you to kind of get the most out of this experience, check your mind at the door, come in here, assume the position, and do the thing. Right? And what I want you to notice right here, here's Jesus distilling all the law, distilling everything down into two things, and the, and one of the things that he mentions is actually the mind. And I'm noticing that it's okay to have one. I'm noticing it's okay to use one when you come in here. I'm noticing that Jesus begins by acknowledging that one of the ways we can really love God is with our minds. A couple of weeks ago, I was up at Asbury Seminary where I'm a trustee and I was involved in the meetings. We have meetings in the spring and we have meetings in the fall. And uh, our president, Tim Tennant, was sharing uh, what he offers to new students who are going to be trained for pastoral work to graduate from the seminary, get ordained, and come back to do pastoral work. And he says, I remind him every year there's a dichotomy out there that I think is false. And we said, what are you talking about? He said, well, when I get together, he said, I tell people, he said, you have to make a decision when you're here whether you're going to just be a fool on fire, okay? Which is, you don't really know what you're talking about, but you're super enthusiastic about what you're talking about. Or, he said, and we've all seen this, we've seen scholars on ice, right? They've done all the theological work, but something has just died and dulled in their heart. And he said, the ethic of Asbury Theological Seminary, I'll never forget this. He said, is to be a scholar on fire. 
And I was like, praise God for that. And he, he said, he just reminds him that when you graduate and you, you, you get in a church that, that precious people are going to come and they got questions and they need answers and this stuff matters. And so I think it's important in this space to understand that it's okay to have a mind in our faith and it's okay to use it. I think of this even sometimes really when we get around science questions even we we think there's a dichotomy there like I have to choose I have to choose science or I have to choose faith that's a false dichotomy. And the scientific method actually developed under an expressive Christian paradigm. So the idea that we would question things in the universe, this is just simply, scholars believe, God more and more and more and more revealing himself. And this is super important. I was thinking about this. I remember this illustration years ago. I want to show you a picture of two guys. This is Nicholas Copernicus and Galileo Galilei. How many of you all knew that Galileo's last name was almost Galileo? I mean, some of you right now, I'm going to say that at lunch, and I'm going to appear so smart when I share that with everybody. But each of these guys in their own generation were the first to say, they were the first to say in their generation that they believed that the earth was a sphere and that uh, it rotated around the sun. And the church in their era disagreed with them and wanted to burn them at the stake for what they believed. And it just so turns out, they were right. And so what's kind of interesting to consider, and I want to make this point right here, we have to remember that God's word is infallible. God's word is infallible. But our interpretation of God's word sometimes is not. And so it's important for us, for the sake of our witness with the world and for the next generations to have humility when we do this. I, we come out of the Wesleyan tradition where John Wesley, when he became a Christian, he, he, was, he was a priest in the Church of England, and then after he was a priest, he got saved. You ever run into pastors like that? Sometimes, yeah, it happens. And so he's in the ministry, but he really didn't know Jesus. Then he has this encounter with Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit transformed his life. And he began to organize his life around an understanding of four things, Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. He said, Scripture's first. I'm going to take everything in my life, always kind of go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say about it? Then tradition. What is the tradition of the church? Always thought about this. Then reason. Can I use my mind? And then lastly, my own experience. This is really, really important. And so first of all, I want to say this. I, I, I want to just say there's room for those of us who have a left-leaning brain that we're more the analytical type. There's room for us to use our mind. I want us to remember as well, though, our mind is not enough. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, here's what I want you to notice, that the Scripture says it like this. Jesus says, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Now, here's what I want to tell you. That's not an option for you to choose one. And sometimes we do that. Well, I can love God with my mind, but I don't want to love God with my heart and soul. Jesus is saying, really, you, you want to boil the whole law down. You want, to, you want to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind. we got to move in all of those categories together. That's an important thing. And so I was thinking about this. How do, how do we actually do that? 
And I want to say a couple things. First of all, I want to say some things to us individually. And I think for you, here's what I want to say. If that's you and you're trying to figure it out, I would say keep showing up. Keep coming. Keep attending. Keep asking questions. Keep pursuing the evidence. I have a friend who's in our church. He was, um, if I got this right, I think he was like almost 40 years as a New York City police officer. And this dude has stories. And so every now and again, we'll just have coffee, and I just sit down and I go, just tell me, man, I just want you to tell me stories. And one of the things that my friend Bruce will often say is he'll say this. I said, how did you, like, you know, he'll tell me some crazy story, and I'll go, how did you guys unpack that? And he goes, you just always follow where the evidence leads. And I thought, man, that's, that's, that has relevance for our faith, that we follow where the evidence leads. You know, um, the verse I used earlier, you see and you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe that sometimes it's misinterpreted. You know that you know what is going on in that story, right? That's Jesus talking to Thomas. And we don't know him as Thomas. We know him as who? Wow. Well done. Doubting Thomas. Can I tell you why I think he's getting a bad rap? I don't think he was a doubter. I think he was an intellect. Because if you do a word study on Thomas, and, and, and every time Thomas pops up in the gospel accounts, he's the guy who's laying out the evidence and the observations connecting the dots that nobody else seems courageous enough to say. Remember the story when Jesus had just gone, been on the mountain and revealed himself? He comes down, he tells the disciples, we are now going to go to Jerusalem. It's Thomas going, hey, you're not popular in Jerusalem. You, we shouldn't go to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. You don't want to go to Jerusalem. You can get in trouble in Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. All right, let's go to Jerusalem. We'll all die in Jerusalem. Now, he got a bad rap, and he turned into the doubter. I don't think he's the doubter. I think he's the intellect. And so we have this wonderful story when finally he comes before Jesus, and he sees Jesus, and Jesus shows him the crucifixion source. And he falls and he says, my Lord and my God. I don't, think, I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, blessed is everybody else who just believes. Here's what I think he's actually saying. Blessed are those, Thomas, who keep doing what you were willing to do. Who keep studying. Who keep looking. Who keep connecting dots. Who keep working the course. Sometimes I talk to intellects, Right? And they go, I just can't believe, Pastor Dale. Well, what are you reading? Nothing. Well, what are you, what are you doing? Now? Nothing. I mean, that's not going to get it done, right? That's not going to get it done. And, and this is an important decision. Your, your faith in Christ is an important decision. And I want to say some things here for us as individuals. Can I say a few things as a church, to the church before I quit? Here's what I want to tell you. Our church has been established for people who have questions. And I'm, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to just be honest. Not every church really has that in their DNA. I attended a church one time, and it was very clear when I was a young man at 16, having some questions that you weren't allowed 
to ask your question. I remember that. And so I bumped out of church for a little while. Why? Because you can't ask your question. This church is for questioners. But here's what I want to tell you all. I can't be the only one who has a passion about that. You got to have a passion about that. In fact, we don't, we don't even talk in our church about membership. You ever notice that? We don't say members. What do we say here? What do you think that partnership's about? It's about this mission. That we're going to be a place who's going to welcome the weary pilgrim into a place who has questions. And let me just give you a heads up. When we do that, it's, me- it's going to be messy. It's messy. I, I remember um, when my pastor friend took me aside and he said, I got to get you some information because you're kind of like a fool on fire. <laughs> and I was, you know, and he said, I got to help you know. And one of the books he had me read was this book right here. I want to commit it to you. It's a book uh, by Charles Colson called Loving God. Now, if you, if, you, if you like history like I do, Charles Chuck Colson was actually the attorney for Richard Nixon. He was special counsel to Richard Nixon. So when Watergate happened and all that got exposed, Chuck Colson went to jail. And he was not a nice guy. They called him a bulldog. He was not a nice guy. But he goes to jail and he meets Jesus in jail. Jesus hangs out in jails. <laughs> and he meets Jesus and, and, and his life is transformed. Eventually starts a ministry called Prison Fellowship International and just has brought so many people into the kingdom as a result of that. But early on, I don't think you can find it now. I saw a video once right after Chuck Colson gave his life to Christ. And I just want to tell you all, it was messy. He is giving this talk. He had just committed his life to Christ. He'd got a cigarette in one hand. He's got a bourbon in the other hand. And he is cussing like a sailor. And everybody in the front row of this church, they're like, ah! He's like, I love Jesus. Cheers, everybody. And I got to tell you all, there was something so powerful to me about that. And, and, and it's messy. And here's what I want. I want our church to be messy. I, I see people when they come in far from God. Sometimes when you come in, you sit in the back row. Now, I'm not saying you're far from God if you're in the back row. But they come in there, like, dipping their toe. And you're like, I don't know if this is for me. And I'll notice they come in, and they, they, they feel love. They feel acceptance. They feel, and they start moving up. And I'm not saying everybody's all spiritual on the front row. Because I'm looking at the front row, and I know that's not true. Okay? But, but I, I, I'm just saying, real quickly, I'm just saying, there's something wonderful when a church is like that. When Beth and I were writing the core values of our church, you know what our number one core value is? Lost people matter to God. They matter to God. I can get so emotional about that because I used to be a lost person. And many of you used to be lost people. And God is inviting us to be a part of a group of people that love messy enough that we're going to welcome whoever comes into our church so that they can find the love of Jesus that we're finding. Cheers, everybody.
So, so let me give you an assignment. Let me give you an assignment and we'll be done. In, in June, uh, we're going to do a thing at our church. We do it every year, something like this. It's called Who Needs God? And uh, we're going to create an environment, which we're getting really good at, for you to bring your unchurched friends and family to learn about God. And here's what's going to happen. It's not going to be overly churchy. Uh, it's going to be great content. It's going to be great experience, great environment. And, and, and we have people in our church who have just come through that kind of window, and now they love God. This is how we partner together. Make a commitment right now to... F- Invite some of your unchurched friends and family to come. They're looking, they're filling the spot in their life with everything else. And what they really want, I can tell you what they want. They want a relationship with the living God. Just like you and I want a relationship with the living God. God, help us that this might be said of us. That like you, Lord, we love people far from God. We're on a search and rescue mission. Help us in the name of Jesus. Amen. A lot of times when we are participating in Christian worship, I'm really aware that there are two things going on. For some of us, this is an objective reality. We are, we are agreeing with some things we know about God. And so we have a subjective experience connected to that objective reality. And some of us are not there yet. And so we wonder about what, what do we do in a space like this? Do I, do I fake it? And here's what I would tell you. No, we don't fake it. What you, do, what you do do is you say this, Lord, I'm not there. I'd like to be there. I'd like to take a step in that direction. Now, here's what I want to say in closing. I'm well aware of the time. Uh, This is called Pentecost Sunday, which is a a time when we remember that the church, uh, 40 days after the resurrection, was filled with the spirit of the living God. And it became a moment for the church, really. It exploded in that day because they were learning, I'm not living the faith by my own effort. The Holy Spirit will live his life through me. So as we close this morning, what I want to do is I want to invite those of you who feel willing to do this to just put your hands in this position. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit's infilling in this space right now. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. For those of us, Lord, who need more of you, give more of you. For those of us who, Lord, are not there, but we'd like to be there, would you give us in this space the next right step? And what we're going to surrender to you now is, Lord, we surrender any barrier that we have it keeps us from having more of your spirit. And right now, I want you to offer to the Lord whatever that barrier it is. If you need to forgive somebody, if you need to ask for his forgiveness, if there's a doubt you manifest, just tell him. If there's a thing going on, there's a hardship, there's some block somewhere, just in this space right here near the end of this service, take a moment and tell God what it is. Offer it to him right now and ask him to remove that and fill you with his Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that many of us are learning that you're here. Thank you that you still answer questions even when it feels insincere. Fill us with your Spirit. 
This we pray in Jesus' precious name. Everyone said, amen. Praise God. Would you give the Lord a hand? God is here. He's so good. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Uh, Go in his peace. Go in his blessing. Go in his grace. We'll see you next weekend.